All right, well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you too. My name is Mark. I'm the executive pastor here, and I, I'm just really excited about this series. One, because I feel like it's, it's just really timely. It's timely in our home. It's timely in a lot of the people that, that I spend time with and just hearing the struggles that they're going through right now. It just feels like this is a topic that we need to be talking about. But I'm also really excited because we are speaking to it from Matthew chapter 6, which if you've, if you've been here, if you were here last week, I was like, man, you got to go read Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That, that section of scripture is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the place that Jesus, there starts to be a, a mass, a critical mass that's following him, and he steps up on this hillside, and he basically gives like the, the core of his message, his, his way. Hey, if you're going to if you're going to follow me, this thing that I'm saying, my perspective, the thing I'm trying to give you on life, here, here it is in this nutshell, you know, and he, he's real clear about it. And honestly, uh, if you hear nothing else that I say today, I just would make the challenge, man, get, get alone with Matthew, Matthew chapter five uh, through chapter seven and just read it. it. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you don't have to really do a lot of, you know, messing with it, but the longer you spend with it, the more that it just comes to life. So I'm just going to try to bring a few of those things to life today to maybe put Matthew chapter 6 in context. But, uh, but it's just powerful. And it, it made me think uh, a few years back, my oldest son and I were with this group of college students, and we went to Toronto uh, for like this cultural exchange program. And on our way back, we stopped at Niagara Falls on the uh, Canadian side. Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? I mean, it it, it is something. I mean, you've seen the pictures and you can imagine what that's like. But, and I love waterfalls and rivers and things. So already I'm like, I'm like well, this is going to be good. But I just had no idea just how grand and how powerful and how violent it is when there's that much water rushing down and it's just churning. And, um, and you know, we, uh, we started out, we got there about lunchtime and we ate at the gift shop, you know, lunch place that was up from the waterfall a good distance. And you sat outside and, I mean, it was, there's so much going on that it would, on a beautiful day, it, those water droplets, that mist would go up in the air and it would, uh, it was like you were being rained on out at the, at the restaurant. And then, so that was, that was kind of cool and you could hear it, you know. And then, you, you know, we got closer to the railing where you could look down and it was almost deafening how loud that it was. And then right there, you really were like, it was splashing up on you a bit. I mean, not where you would just get soaked, but you know, you, you, would, you would kind of get some of the, the fallout. Well, you could pay, of course, if you know me at all, you know I'm too cheap to do this, but you could pay and go down to this little platform that was closer to the falls and buy one of their fancy ponchos so you wouldn't get wet, you know. And, and you could get really, really close to it. And I mean, it was like, at that point, you needed the poncho because it was coming down, you know, pretty hard. They also have these boats that, and this is really scary to me because, you know, you know waterfalls, all that water comes down. And then the bigger the waterfall is, the more it, it churns and it actually draws you in. And so what they would do, they had these boats. And again, you buy, I guess, a fancier poncho and you get on the boat deck and then they would let the boat kind of just get sucked in by the waterfall. And about at the moment that it looked like the waterfall, the Niagara was just going to swallow the boat up, then they would hammer the, the gas and like, Wah! and I swear, I, we sat there for a long time. And every time I'm like, 
it's going to eat this one. <laughs> this, this one's not going to make it. Oh, 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 oh. It just, I mean, it just felt like it was just with all the gas, I mean, all they could give to it. It just barely would make it out. And so it, there were like these different levels of, you know, how much were you willing to invest? How much were you willing to commit to get closer and closer and closer to it? You know, 19, I'm sure you guys have heard the stories. 1901, there was a school teacher, 63 years old. I think her name was Annie. She, uh, she got in a barrel, just rolled off the front of it. And then after that, people were like, okay, well, that sounds like a great idea. Some guy went off of it in a kayak. Some guy went off of it in a jet ski. People just jump off the side into it, you know? I mean, that's, forget the boat. You don't even need a poncho, man. Just, just take a nosedive, you know, swan dive off the side of the railing into it, which seems absolutely incredible. But right, the, the closer that you get to it, the more that you invest, the more that you risk, the more you experience Niagara. And, and I say that because it feels like Jesus comes on the scene and he's calling us to something. And at least in my experience of trying to figure out what it looks like to follow, follow Jesus, it seems like a lot of us will sit at the gift shop and eat our lunch and get a little bit of the, the blessing kind of, you know, by trying to follow him a little bit. But not, you know, the more that he asks or the more of the focus that he, that he feels like we give him. There's like, we have our limits and that's a line I'm not going to cross or that's going to cost too much or that's... And then you get these rare people that just step up on the side and just off into it, and they experience the fullness of who Jesus is. But it just seems far and few between. And when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, he says some real practical things that everybody in this room, especially on this uh, topic today of treasures in heaven and what this looks like, we would all say that is true. But then if we look at our calendar and we look at our checkbook and we look at the way that we do life, it appears, if we were honest, it appears like we're, we're a long way from, from diving in head first. And so um, Matthew chapter 5, when he first steps up and begins to speak, he throws out this crazy idea. He says, those that are blessed are the poor. Those that are blessed and that you know, will experience the kingdom of heaven, those are the, the meek, those who mourn, those who are persecuted. I mean, really, he just kind of flips the script on everything culturally that we would say, you know? Seems like, what is this guy talking about? The, the meek inherit the earth? No, that's not what they told me. <laughs> Seems like it's the ones that take charge. That, but no, he, he's, he's saying the kingdom of heaven is found in this, this thing that doesn't seem to make sense, you know, to us and by our human nature and the gravity of the culture that we live in. And then he goes on, he just keeps on saying things that really have, have value. And I think when we get to chapter 6, it really starts to come clear. But he talks about things like, hey, you know, you guys are, are, are looking at murder. Like, mur- like murder, that's a, that's a commandment that you should not murder. And, and there's these, these actions. But he says, man, in God's economy, we're looking at your heart. Is there anger there? A- adultery, but God's looking at your heart. What about, what about lust? He says, when you think about marriage, you think about, hey, we just get divorced. We'll just give a certificate of divorce. He's like, no, marriage is more than that. And he just keeps on bringing back to your heart. He's like, oaths, you shouldn't have to have a sheet of paper. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. It should just, it's, it, it's here. Loving your enemies, yeah, uh, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But, but there's this higher level of living 
where you turn the other cheek and you love your enemy and, and you love those that persecute you. And he's, and he's calling this, this other level that most of us would just look at and go, man, that's great for somebody, but I, I don't know about that. And then in chapter 6, he, he starts it by saying this. He's going to deal with, with our righteous acts and the way that we, we do our acts of righteousness. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So be, pr- be really careful not to practice your, your acts of righteousness with the motive of impressing other people and, and, and other people seeing those things and thinking more highly about you. If you do that, there's no reward in heaven. Basically, you just, you just got your reward and it's, and it's done. And he gives three examples and if Jesus repeats something, I just think that means it's really important, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, if he says something over and over again. And so first thing he talks about is uh, giving to the needy. And the way he finish out, finishes out that section, he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So basically, there's a way that you could give to the needy where you would make a big show of it and your goal would be uh, in your, deep in your heart would be that other people would think more highly of you. And you could do that. And that's the reward. And it's as uh, temporal and fickle as public opinion. You could do that. Or you could do that same act of righteousness in such a way and for the reason, the motive behind it, be for your Heavenly Father. And there's this reward and today, you know, multiple times he talks about rewards here. Then we're gonna, he's going to talk about a treasure in heaven. And I know that there's, I mean, there's folks who will try to really give a description of exactly what that treasure looks like. I'm not going to try to do that this morning. I'm just going to go straight from this passage. What we know is that God, there's a reward that God would give. And that we'll see later in chapter 6 that it doesn't fade away. That it lasts forever. So it's a, it's a reward of some type that our good God is giving and it never ends. That's, that sounds pretty awesome. Or you could forfeit that. And in the way that you do this giving to the needy, it could just die. It could end quickly. Then he talks about prayer. And he says in verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See how it's worded exactly the same way. When you pray, don't do it and shout out and try to gain, gain attention. Do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret, who is there, he'll give you a reward. And then he talks about fasting. And he says in verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is uh, in secret. And your father who sees in secret the reward you see that's exactly the same thing with all three and these are all really really good things but it's like you could take this really really good thing and you could do it in such a way that it would basically re- remove the the power from it because it's it's ending and then in the beginning what we're going to look at today in verse 18 or 19 he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
Because on earth, moth and rust destroys and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. It's like you got a choice about what you do with the things that are in your hand. Now, now there are going to be things in our hand, and those things aren't uh, pointless. Uh, my dad used to listen to a, uh, a um, motivational speaker. He had a tape he'd always play in the truck. And it was, uh, this guy would say, I've probably said it here before, he would say, you know, money's not everything, but it's dangerously close to oxygen. <laughs> and, I, and I stuck with me. I'm like, you know what? You know, that's true. I mean, we, we live on this planet, and there are, we're not, it's, the goal isn't to try to escape from it. We, we live here, and so there are possessions that are in our hand. There's money in our hand. There's time in our hand. There's relationships in our hand. And now what are we going to do with them? And there's a way that we can use them. We can take them, and we can spend them and activate them towards things, invest them towards things that are eternal, where moth and rust do not destroy. Or we can take those same things and use them in such a way that they've just got a, a real quick end date. The opinions of people, a real quick end date. Material possessions that, you know, they're just going to go away. A <laughs> hundred years from now, they, just won't, they just, just won't be there anymore. And so there's just, it's just short-lived. I thought about it like this, you know, we, uh, it's like taking, going and building a house on top of a frozen lake. And it's like you build a house and it may be awesome and but you know from the minute you build it that that lake is going to begin to melt <laughs> and it's going to end up at the bottom of it. Or building a house on top of a volcano. Yeah, it might be great for a little while, but you know that the clock is ticking. You know it. You know that it has an end date and yet you do it anyway. But that's what we do. We take, we take our time, our relationships, our money, and we invest it in thing that, things that we know have an end date. Uh, it's crazy, but that's exactly what we do. It's like, it's like as crazy as buying shoes for, for my kids. Is it not crazy, any parents out there? I mean, my goodness. I buy it, and a week later, toes coming out the end of it. What's, what, am I, what are we even doing here? I think we ought to just duct tape their feet till they turn about 18 and stop growing. Because that's all it is. And a size 1 costs the same as my size 11. Now, how do they do that? Like, I got twice as much material on my shoe... And somehow it's the same price? Yeah, I mean, it's this, it's this pointless thing that I know when we go to the shoe store. I'm investing in something that's going to have this little bitty short life. And that hurts me. <laughs> I'm I made in such a way that that hurts me because I want to get the most. I want to, you know, suck the value out of that dollar. And it feels like I just lost big in that gamble. Now, last year, I had to finally uh, give up on some Chacos that somebody gave to me in 2007. It was when we were getting ready to move overseas and somebody gifted me these Chacos and I wore them for 10 plus years. And I was still gonna try to make them work, but Terry was like, those things are way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, something like that, I feel like, oh man, that, I, I, one, it was gifted to me, so I didn't invest any of my own money in it. And then on top of that, if I had, man, I got $100 20 times over in this thing, man, for 10 years. It just feels good. You know it. That's what we're looking at here was like, we've got these things and how we invest them. We could invest them in kid shoes that are gone tomorrow. Or we could take them and, and make them earn something that's, that's beautiful and eternal. Last night, Jack, I don't know what got him under this, but he was, he got excited about it. He's got this stuffed monkey that he's had forever. 
and he wanted to make a castle for the monkey. And so he took some cardboard boxes that were in the trash heap that were going to be burned, and he took the cardboard boxes, and we made a castle for the monkey. Got a really cool drawbridge. He put a couch and a TV in there for the monkey. He, he took something that was, that was, you know, going to get burned up, and he began to make something that was really, really valuable to him, and I guess to the monkey. <laughs> That's what the children of God on this planet do. That's what Jesus was talking about earlier, and we talked about a few weeks ago. You are salt and light. We step into this world that's just burning, that has an end date, and we come in with this eternal perspective and live for things that last forever. If not, then we're investing in something that's just, just dying. Right after that, he says, um, for... Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, verse 21. For, which this is uh, reasons for results of if you're doing Bible study. So what he just said about the moth and rust destroying, then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another just massive truth. Where your treasure is, your heart, your heart follows it. And those two things, you can't have your heart in one place and your treasure in another place. So if you take your treasure and you put it in something that you know is ending, then shame on you. Shame on me. It's like we got, we got the red flags. It's like getting involved in a relationship that you know the person is just going to take your heart and stomp on it, and your heart's going to be in a blender, but walking straight into it anyway full, with full knowledge of what's going to happen. It's like me taking the family to a theme park. I know some people love that, but I walk into the theme park, and we paid at the front, and now we go inside, and now everything, like buying a hamburger for 20 bucks. It's not even a good hamburger. That doesn't feel good, and my heart's in a blender all day. I don't like the way that that feels. You know? Well, your treasure is, you, it, it follows with you. Now, I'll tell you something that is a good investment, talking about my boy Jack. He likes going to hotels. He calls them castles because he likes riding the, the uh, elevator. He'll just go up and down on the elevator. And he really, really likes the pancake sheen, which is what he calls, you know, well, there's one uh, chain that has a, this machine in the breakfast area and it drops the batter and then it runs down a conveyor belt and sp spits out a, a pancake and he calls that the pancake sheen. You go to a hotel with Jack, I promise you, it's just fun, man. He's excited days beforehand. He's riding the elevator. He's kicking pancakes out. I mean, it's worth every dime. It's well invested, you know. Um, Jesus is calling us, hey, you've got these things that you've been blessed with. Now you get to choose what you do with them. And what you choose to do with them, your heart follows that. And so when we talk about anxiousness and peace or the lack thereof, if we take our heart and we stick it in something, in a blender, that's not going to be, we're going to be anxious. That's an anxious affair. We get ready to ride the roller coaster. If, if I'm going to take my treasure and I'm going to place it in what you think about me, I better just go ahead and know that I signed up to ride the roller coaster of emotion. Because you're going to like me one day and you're going to hate me the next day. Or if I take my money and I start to place it in something or buy things that I think are going to make me happy that are made of metal or plastic or whatever, and, or brick, and I know that that's going to have an end date on it, just get ready. I mean, right now, I mean, a year ago, would we have thought that everything was going to happen the way that it's happened and things that maybe you invested in that you thought, there's no way that's going to go down. 
And then he went down. How in the world? Who would have ever thought that we would, you know, be questioning whether we're going to have a, a college football game or, you know, question whether we're going to have a presidential debate? I mean, what would it, a year ago, what would you have thought would it have taken to, to crash some of those things that seemed like they were, it's all ending. There's only one place that we can put our treasures in our heart and not, it, it not be like this. It doesn't, it doesn't end. Moth and rust do not destroy. Then he says, and this is another just <laughs> critical, huge, incredible statement. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, which healthy there is clear, it's single. If your eye is, is singular focused, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, think about it for a second. It's, it's not that complicated, but you do just have to look at it. The eye is the lamp to the body. So where we place our eyes, and he says a healthy eye is singular focused. And if your eye is singular focused on something that gives light, that, that's eternal, then what happens is that light comes and it's like a magnifying glass into your whole body. And your whole body is full of life and light. But if you give your attention and your focus to something that's not that, that darkness is magnified. And if that's true, then the light, the, the darkness within you, how great is that darkness? And so you see it, somebody who does look at their life and say that their possessions, their calendar, and they look at life and they begin to, to focus on that that's eternal. And you see that their life is filled up. Have you ever bumped into those people? Maybe there's some folks in this room that I would put in that category that are like, man, you just see that, that life, that light in them? Well, it's because they're singular focused on things that are eternal. <laughs> and so it works. It, it, it lights them up. And the same is true. And... It's crazy how no matter how many examples we have from history and no matter how many examples you have from your life, from your family, from your friends, from your own experiences, that we know that focusing our attention on temporal things doesn't bring life. It sucks life. We know that. You know, just like we, talk, we say a lot of times around here, we don't have to convince you that the world is broken. We know the world is broken. Well, we know that if you place your attention on temporal things, that it, it sucks life, it doesn't give life. And even though we know it, we still try it. You know, on that same trip, Caleb and I, we were walking down this park in Toronto, and it was the first time I'd seen this. You know, we hadn't been in, in cities that big very often, and they had these bikes that were in these little stalls, and it's not like it is now where you could just drop them off anywhere you wanted to. They had stalls, and you paid, and you got a bike, and the idea was there were these stalls all around, and you could ride to whichever stall, and then whenever you... You, you know, checked it back into a stall, then you got your money back. Or you, you know, pay, only paid that much. Well, he and I rented these bikes, and we got to riding, and that was a great theory. In theory, that's wonderful. Yeah, you just ride, and then you stop wherever you want to. You know what happened to us? Every time we came up to one of the stalls, they were all full. So what do we do now? Well, we got the bike. I got, am I going to ride back to the stall I came from and double the time? You know, again, money. My, my clock's ticking. I'm paying for every moment here. I don't have a stall here. So then we'd ride to the next stall. Well, then we, oh, they're, they're all full. 
I don't know how many of them we hit before we finally find a stop. And then we, we had to walk from where we were back to where. That, that was a great thing in theory, but it did not work in practice. The idea that we can live our lives and take our calendar in our, in our checkbook and our relationships and everything, and that we can spin those towards things that are temporal and find life there, no matter how big our bank account is, no matter how, much all, you know, how, much, how great everybody thinks you are, it's darkness. It doesn't do it. You've got your reward in full, and it's got an end date. It says this higher level that Jesus is calling us to is that we, have, we live for the approval of one. We're singular focused with the things that he's blessed us with on the things that he cares about that never end. That's a good investment. Then he goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you were here last week, I mean, this is the verse. The next verse is what Charlie taught on last week about, you know, anxiousness and not worrying about the things and uh, the, the birds of the air and the, and the flowers of the field. And right before that, he says, no one can serve two masters. <coughs> Which I think, I think Jesus just said that multitasking is a lie. Oh, I know that hurts. Because we think we can do that. But I'm pretty sure we, we, ju- we just can't. You, you've got so, this much attention that you have to give. And you, you don't just get to double dip. <laughs> And give the same amount of attention to two things. You just cannot do it. You can't sit there in a conversation with somebody and give them their full, your, their full atten- your full attention and also give your phone your full attention, right? You, you just can't. I get made fun of because I, when I drive, I often have a coffee cup in my hand and I'm, I struggle with directions. So I've usually got my phone with the map going. And then I'm trying to find some music that I like and I drive a standard. And I've got a makeshift cup holder now, which is helping. But before I didn't, I mean, I'm like, you know, imagine what that looks like, right? You don't want to see me coming down the road. The truth is, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am, I guess I'm surviving. I'm still here. But you don't, that's, not, that's not good. Jesus says you can't love both God and money. You can't seek, seek your own name and fame and, and to build your bank accounts. That can't be your driving force and also have a clear, singular vision on God and his glory and his purposes and plans. They can't do both. That is not possible. He says you'll either love the one and hate the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't do it. You just can't do it. And so this next part where he's talking about anxiousness well, yeah, it's an anxious affair to make your life about things that we know from the beginning are going to end. It just is. There's a, there's a guy that, when I think about this, that he just immediately comes to mind from my past, a guy uh, we called T. And he, uh, I mean, from the first time I met this guy, I passed by him and talking about light, it was, it, it, the light in him was so bright that it like jumped off on me, you know? And I, it, I, I man, I just want to, I want to be around this guy because whatever's going on there, I want some of that, you know? 
And then I got to spend some time with him for about a year. He's just a few years younger than me. And I've just kind of tracked with him since then. And he has been effective all these years at taking the temporal and redeeming it into the eternal. Just like Jack with that box, you know, taking, taking the, the box that's going into the trash and turning it into something of value. In fact, a few weeks ago, I saw where he had, he was a basketball player in college and he went down to where the guys were playing basketball. He's a campus minister at uh, University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. And he went out there where some guys were playing basketball and he said, hey fellas, uh, I'll take each one of you one-on-one. If I win, I'll pay you, I mean, if, I, if you win, I'll pay you five bucks. If I win, you come to church with me. And then his, I guess his wife videoed it. I mean, he just smoked them all. I mean, it was beautiful. But, I mean, an example, like a Saturday afternoon, he took his money, he took his skill that God had given him, and he went and did something that will never die. And that is absolutely beautiful. And yours is, it may be very different than that, but God has given you gifts. God has given you relationships. God has given you skills. God has given you some, some money in your pocket. And he's expecting and calling you to take the swan dive off the side of the, the railing. Not, not to sit back at the gift shop and, you know, just kind of play around with it. We wonder why we're anxious. You know, we wonder why this peace that Jesus promises seems so elusive to us. And most of the time, it's because we're, we're trying to play it safe in the gift shop when he's, he's calling us to, to deliver something bigger. So, tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and just ask that he would, he would do that in us.